checking out college football on the West Coast. This is Get Off My Pylon, a look at the Pac-12 and more. Part of the College Gridiron Coast to Coast Podcast Network. Here's your host, Matt Zimmer. Welcome to the latest edition of the Get Off My Pylon College Football Podcast. This is your host, Matt Zemek. We're part of the College Gridiron Coast to Coast Podcast Network coming at you. And we're not that far away from Thanksgiving, not that far away from the end of the regular season in college football. The Pac-12, the Mountain West, Western College football, that's what we focus on here at Get Off My Pylon. Plenty to talk about uh, in the middle of November. And uh, let's start with the top of the pack, uh, the Washington Huskies. Still unbeaten. They're ten and zero, and you'd rather be ten and zero than nine and one. Obviously, Washington, because it's unbeaten, because it passed another test, albeit only slightly, against the Utah Utes. Being ten and zero, being unbeaten in the Pac-12 means that Washington can lose once and still be in the Pac-12 championship game. That's that's the really big advantage that the Huskies have, um, and with Washington State. Uh, you know, going from four and zero to now four and six, um, you know the Apple Cup. That that's a game that uh, Washington is going to host in Seattle against Wazoo. You know, you figure that's going to be a win. So the Huskies pretty much nailed down their spot in the Pac-12 championship game. It's not official, but highly likely to be in Las Vegas on Friday, December first. Um, and so, you know, you definitely would rather be Washington than Oregon or anyone else. In the Pac-12, but in the same breath, while we're gonna we're, we're gonna say that Washington is certainly uh, in the driver's seat, we also have to say in the same breath that Washington's not looking very convincing, and and you want to juggle those two tensions. Um, and, and it's noteworthy that you know I said earlier this year uh, that when USC was unbeaten in the first half of the season, you know you you you'd rather be unbeaten than not. However. Uh, it, it, early in the season, being five and zero, six and zero, is a different deal from being ten and zero. Like it, you know, when you're five and zero, you still have a lot of season left. You have challenging games on the back end of your schedule, and it, there's there's much greater cause for concern when you're just in the middle of the season, uh, and you're still uh trying to find your way. But when you're ten and zero. You know, you can look at the warts and the flaws and everything else on your team and, you know, you can still acknowledge them. You can still be honest about them and yet realize, hey, 10 and 0 is 10 and 0. We're so close to achieving a lot of our goals. So, you know, in in mid-November, being unbeaten feels very different from uh, how it feels in early October uh, when you're unbeaten. You know, and and it's and coaches obviously want to play better. They well, they want to fix their flaws, but when you keep finding ways to win and you keep doing that over the course of a full season, looking outside Pac-12 for a moment, we're seeing Florida State do that. You know, we're seeing Georgia do that. We're seeing Alabama, uh, not Alabama. Alabama has one loss, but you know, we're we're seeing some teams go through the entirety of the season and they're avoiding every single landmine. Washington, Florida State, really on very parallel tracks they're not dominating but they are winning and when you keep doing it at a certain point it the focus stops being on the flaws and it and it starts being on finding ways to to be successful at least successful enough each week so the huskies are on that fine line 
because they are finding ways every week. Um, that game against Utah felt very perilous. Utah had the lead and the ball uh, in the third quarter, and then later on, um, Washington had a, a, a narrow lead, but Utah uh, was you know in the red zone, very close to taking uh, a fourth quarter lead, and then Washington got what should have been a pick six. And then, you know, another Deshaun Jackson moment and why why football players drop the ball at the one or in this case, the two yard line. It's just such a brain buster. Like you don't get any extra points, extra credit. Uh, history doesn't remember you fondly if you drop the ball as soon as you get to the goal line. It's just the most baffling thing. Absolutely the most baffling thing. And this this really was the worst I've ever seen. It looked like the, the ball was dropped. On the two, maybe even the two-and-a-half-yard line. Just absolutely unfathomable. But Washington was able to get a safety on the next play. Uh, and that's kind of uh, tip, typifies the Husky season, that they've made some really sloppy, ugly plays. Like, they were not sharp against USC on defense, allowing 42 points. They allowed 33 points to Stanford against Arizona State. Their offense did not score a touchdown, but their defense dominated. Their defense got a pick six. And they did run the ball all the way into the end zone on that one. And they were able to win that game 15-7. to So each week, it's a different uh, aspect of the Huskies uh, picking them up. So they are 10-0, and and that's fantastic. And Kalen DeBoer looks like exactly the right man for the job on Montlake. And yet, and yet, you look at that team, you go, each week is such a highly flawed performance. How long is this going to continue? And next up, for Washington... The trip to Reeser Stadium, Corvallis, Jonathan Smith has the Beavers in the top 10. I don't know if they deserve a top 10 ranking. You know, this team lost to Washington State, and Washington State is a 4-6 and six team. Uh, also lost to Arizona, which is a very good team, but nevertheless, a three-loss team. So I wouldn't put Oregon State in a top 10, but the Beavers, 8-2, and two, um, certainly, you know, have a chance to win 11 games. So Jonathan Smith you know, has that program at a high level. It's, it's you know, similar to the level that Mike Riley had the Beavers uh, roughly 15 years ago, you know, 2006 through 2009, that period of time, Oregon State was competitive in the top tier uh, of the Pac-12. Wasn't winning the, the conference championship, but was right in the mix in mid-November. So Jonathan Smith has been able to recreate that and it's and that's very impressive but you know Oregon State is going to really kick itself in particular not so much for the Arizona loss because Arizona is good but Washington State that that loss to the Cougars back in September man the Beavers would really love to have have that one back they'd really love a mulligan if they had won that game this game in Corvallis would be so much bigger uh than it is and it's a big game but it would be even bigger uh, had Oregon State not tripped up in the Palouse uh, to Washington State. So very interesting as we record this uh, podcast on Monday evening. Uh, Oregon State was uh, initially a slight underdog, but has moved on the lines to a one-point favorite. Pretty interesting. And moreover, I don't think that's that's wrong. I don't think that's wild at all. I think this does set up extremely well. For Oregon State, it's going to be a, a hugely jacked up crowd at Reeser Stadium in Corvallis. And, you know, Oregon State, you know, these were the two games circled on the calendar. Washington this week and the Civil War against Oregon on Thanksgiving weekend 
These are the two games that are going to define Oregon State's season. Oregon State didn't play USC, um, played Utah early in the season when the Utes' offense was just absolutely terrible, uh, a non-factor. Um, UCLA, you know, lost to Arizona State. We're going to talk about that game in a little bit. Um, you know, beating UCLA at home, that was expected. N nothing more, nothing less. These are the two games that are going to define Oregon State season. So, you, you, you know, this game is like Oregon State Super Bowl, or you could say that this game's the conference championship game, and next week against the Ducks uh, is the Super Bowl. So I, I certainly like the way this game lines up for Oregon State uh, against Washington. And with the way that the Huskies are playing, you know, Washington's going to have to tighten things up. Washington will definitely have to um, tighten up the screws and and weed out the penalties, weed out the mistakes. Let's talk a little bit about that Utah game uh, a little bit more. That you know there were penalties almost every play in the second half. It was a it was a very ragged game. Washington uh, botched a field goal late with, that gave Utah uh, another chance uh, to tie the game. Uh, Washington's defense got absolutely smoked in the first half by Utah. Now credit. Credit that same Washington defense for adjusting in the second half, getting more of a pass rush, getting more of a push up front, finding ways to frustrate Utah. But, you know, Bryson Barnes, who had a great time against USC, he had a very great, a really great time as well in that first half uh, against Washington. The Huskies are not that robust uh, in their front seven right now. They're not physically imposing. What does Oregon State like to do? Oregon State likes to lean on its offensive line play smash mouth football, run the ball, run the rock, set up play action for downfield shots with DJ Uyangale, who's been solid this season. I wouldn't say spectacular. We're going to learn about DJ Uyangale in these games. You know, how does he play against the very best uh, in the Pac-12, Washington and Oregon? It's going to define his Oregon State season, and it's probably going to reshape how we think of him and his career uh, as a college quarterback after transferring uh, from Clemson and Dabo Swinney. And, you know, just a, another word about Uyunglele, that with his, um, with Clemson's struggles this year under Cade Klubnik, you know, Uyunglele is certainly thinking privately uh, in his free moments, in his spare time. I'm, I'm sure that he's thinking, wow, I made the right choice. I made the right call going from Dabo uh, to Jonathan Smith. Now, you know, we'll never know what it would have been like if Uyunglele had played for uh, Garrett Riley, whom Dabo brought in as his new offensive coordinator at Clemson. So it's not as though Uyunglele would have been playing for the coordinators that he had a year ago. Dabo decided to make a change. But nevertheless, it's a what if. It's a real what if uh, for Uyunglele. What if he had been with Garrett Riley? We'll never know. But I'm sure that ultimately – Uyangale thinks he made the right call transferring from Clemson uh, to Oregon State. Uh, so many storylines involved in that. And we, one other storyline attached to Washington, Oregon State, and really, you know, f flowing through the Pac-12 because the Pac-12 is Heisman Central. What about the Heisman race? Where does it stand right now? A lot of people will say that Bo Nick should be leading. Uh, I think that's a reasonable analysis, but I would ultimately disagree. I think right now, present moment, I'm not predicting the future here, but present moment, where things stand right now, it should be Michael Penix still ahead 
of Bo Nix. Penix made clutch plays to deliver Washington a win uh, over Utah. It was a high-scoring game. I mean, he played. He was brilliant, but he was good against a tough, hard-nosed Utah defense. That is certainly more than what Bo Nix did against USC and its Swiss cheese defense. Now, Nix was good. He was certainly good. He wasn't fantastic. A few throws were off the mark. Oregon scored only 36 points, left a lot of points uh, on the field. Um, USC's secondary was absolutely atrocious, very soft coverage, uh, particularly on third downs. I mean, Nick's made easy throws, and a number of Oregon's touchdowns were yards after the catch. More about Oregon's receivers and USC's not very good secondary than anything Bo Nix did. Like, Bo Nix did not make amazing plays in that USC game. He made the plays he was supposed to make. And that's good. Again, he didn't play poorly. He was good, but he wasn't spectacular. He what he didn't do anything so impressive that, oh, I would move him up over Michael Penix uh, in the Heisman race. Look, Penix made big plays, more big plays, head-to-head against Bo Nix, and he beat him. So Penix should have the lead. Now, for any Oregon fans listening in, I'm not saying this race is over. I'm not saying Penix has a commanding lead because he doesn't. It's all very close. It's all very fluid. But if Bo Nix gets a rematch with Penix in Washington in the Pac-12 championship game on Friday, December 1st, that's Bo Nix's chance to alter the conversation. That is Bo Nix's chance to take that award away from Michael Penix. So Bo Nix is going to have his say. Bo Nix will be able to make his case. But you don't put Bo Nix number one right now. Like that is the trade-off that Penix leads right now. But Nix has the chance to change everything. That's the way to look at the Heisman race. Uh, one other Heisman note, just because Penix and Nix, two Pac-12 players, are involved uh, going outside the Pac-12, people are saying Jaden Daniels should be the Heisman winner. Stop. Stop. Please. He got outplayed by Jalen Milrow head-to-head against Alabama. All right? Uh, he was outplayed by Jordan Travis in the second half of that game against Florida State. Now, yes, LSU's defense is horrible. All right, and you you shouldn't you 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 shouldn't penalize a player too much. However, Daniels was not spectacular in games where he needed to be spectacular. You know, do you, do you do that? Do you do do you reward a player in spite of uh, not being his absolute very best in the biggest games on his schedule? Okay, he lit up Florida's defense. Whoop de doo! All right, you know, like we should not be throwing a ticker tape parade for lighting up a bad Florida defense. Florida got smoked by K.J. Jefferson in Arkansas one week earlier. I'm sorry. Stop it. Jaden Daniels is not the Heisman front runner because he lit up Florida like a Christmas tree. Stop it. Billy Napier is his coaching Florida poorly. He doesn't have a good team. Uh, come on now. Let, 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 it, let us tap the brakes. Now, I think, uh, you know, if you were to make the Heisman case for uh, Jaden Daniels, I think a, a, a real comparison could be made to Robert Griffin III, RG3, and Baylor uh, in 2011. But the, but the difference there is that two th- in 2011, Baylor was, it w- when the 2011 season began, Baylor was a nobody uh, in college football. You know, did not have any kind of established brand. And Art Briles, I mean, Cat put all of his personal failing failings and scandals to the side. Art Brow's good, really good X and O coach, and he was developing Baylor at the time. Baylor was beginning 
its upswing and rounding into form as a powerhouse Big 12 program in those years. But entering 2011, Baylor really hadn't put itself on the map just yet. So when RG3 helped Baylor win uh, 9-10 games in uh, 2011, that was a huge accomplishment. All right. That was that was an amazing feat. So even though Baylor wasn't a, a conference champion or anything, much as Jaden Daniels and LSU are not going to be a conference champion, it was still amazing for Baylor to have that kind of a season at the time. Now, in 2014, 2015, it was expected that Baylor would win 11 games uh, per season, but not in 2011. What RG3 did, it was to, you know totally out of the blue in terms of Baylor's history, Baylor's expectations. That was an amazing team accomplishment that RG3 was centrally responsible for. All right. But Jaden Daniels is presiding over an LSU team that's going to, that's lost three games and was expected to be a college football playoff contender. So LSU's nine and three this year and Baylor's nine and three in 2011, two totally different things. All right. So, so let's keep that in perspective. No, you shouldn't automatically give the Heisman Trophy to a conference champion or a college football playoff team. It's like, I'm not arguing that. But when if you have several candidates for the Heisman um, and a bunch of them have, have at least won conference championships or are in conference championship games and another team not only is not playing for a conference championship but has underachieved overall – within the context of its season, like Caleb Williams and USC would be in a similar boat, all right? When you have underachieving teams at Blue Blood programs, you don't give the Heisman to those kinds of players. You don't give the Heisman to that quarterback of a Blue Blood team that has significantly underachieved. Now, RG3 at Baylor, different dynamic. So let's keep that in perspective uh, when we're talking about the Heisman Trophy race. Much more in the Pac-12 of the Mountain West to come on the other side of this uh, announcement. But we are brought to you by Ticket Smarter. At, you can find them at TicketSmarter.com, the Ticket Smarter mobile app, getting you into the stadium for the biggest games of the college football season. So that big one this week in the Pac-12, Research Stadium in Corvallis. And let's remember, last year, Research Stadium was being renovated. So there was only half of the stadium available for that game uh for for any Oregon State game uh this year they have the full stadium available so it's not just seating on one side of the stadium there's seating on both sides uh of the ball yard so if you want to get into Research Stadium in Corvallis that's the destination game in the Pac-12 of the big bad unbeaten Huskies coming into town uh in, in a game with major national uh implications Uh, There's also the USC-UCLA game at the Coliseum. And, hey, it's an afternoon game. It's a 12-30 game. And USC fans have wanted for years to play UCLA in the middle of the afternoon in that glorious L.A. sunshine instead of wasting that game at night. And, of course, those double home uniforms for USC and UCLA, some of the freshest uh, colors popping on your screen. Those colors are enhanced so much more in sunshine. In daylight, so we get a USC UCLA game in the daytime once again. You want to get into the Coliseum? Go to Ticket Smarter, TicketSmarter.com, the Ticket Smarter mobile app. Best prices on the secondary market. 
The purchasing process is painless. It's easy. It's secure. It's just the way you want it. And we have promo codes for you. And you can use them not just for this week, but also for next week, Thanksgiving weekend. So much good football to be found on the holiday weekend. Then the conference championship games and on into the bowl games. Ticketsmarter.com, the Ticket Smarter mobile app. Use the promo codes that are good for the rest of the whole season, including the bowls. LWOS10. That's LWOS10. Get $10 off a purchase of $100 or more. LWOS20. That's LWOS20. That's the promo code if you want $20 off on order of $300 or more. So, some bargains to be found for big games, late season, November football, championship implications. This is what it's all about. Ticketsmarter.com, Ticket Smarter mobile app. Get in the game with Ticket Smarter. All right. So, more to discuss in the Pac 12, also the Mountain West. So, Arizona, you know, after two very taxing, physical, tough, close football games against uh, especially Oregon State. And then also UCLA goes on the road, plays at altitude against a desperate Colorado team, which frankly really needed to win this game to have any remaining hope of a bowl game. Now, Colorado um, can still win out, and it might beat Washington State, but good luck to those buffs against Utah. That's going to be a really tough game. So Colorado really needed to beat Arizona, I think. I think a lot of other experts uh, shared my point of view. Needed to beat Arizona to have a good chance of getting to a bowl game. And it was close. Colorado started well. Buffalo scored 31 points. Their offense did look uh, better than it has in some time. But Arizona got the late game stops. And Noah Fafita, once again, just such an amazing leader for this team. And let's just all sit back and contemplate a world in which Jed Fish has Noah Fafita as his day one opening week starting quarterback instead of Jaden Delora. You know, remember, USC and Clay Helton started Max Brown over Sam Darnold at the beginning of the 2016 season. Darnold didn't come in until late September, and by that point, USC had already lost three games. But Darnold ran the table the rest of the way, and USC uh, was able to go to and then win the Rose Bowl Uh, was playing some of the best football in the United States at the end of that 2016 season. Imagine if Arizona uh, had Noah Fafita starting from day one. It's going to be one of the great what-ifs. But at least next year, Arizona knows that it will have Noah Fafita there on day one when it goes into the Big 12. Arizona football has a chance to go 9-3 and and then win a 10th game in the regular season. That would be absolutely spectacular for Jed Fish and that Arizona program. They beat Colorado, um, and and they are on track to do something extraordinary relative to preseason expectations. I think in the preseason, you know, if you told Arizona six and six, bowl game, they would have been happy. Seven and five, wow, that would have been amazing. Arizona could be nine and three with a chance to go ten and three in a bowl game under Noah Fafita and head coach Jed Fish. Absolutely spectacular what that team is doing, and let's keep in mind that Arizona is not yet fully eliminated from the Pac-12 championship race. If, if there are a few things break in Arizona's direction, one of those things is going to be Oregon State, whom you know Arizona has the tiebreaker over the Beavers uh, because it uh, beat them head-to-head. Oregon State takes down Oregon 
um, you know, and, and Arizona is able to win out, uh, Arizona could be in the Pac-12 championship game still. That's pretty remarkable. Um, another big story in the Pac-12 from the past weekend, UCLA with the absolute stink bomb, the absolute clunker at home against Arizona State. The Bruins scored just seven points. Uh, they got stopped on three different fourth downs, two of them inside the Arizona State 10-yard line. An absolute disaster for Chip Kelly. And then, you know, the, the final score, 17-7 to for Arizona State. The Sun Devils was hugely undermanned. And yet Coach Kenny Dillingham was running a swinging gate and these stacked uh, formations that basically took his offensive line out of play. And it's really genius. It's a genius move by Kenny Dillingham. You don't have an offensive line because you have seven, eight, however many offensive linemen injured. So you just don't have traditional off traditional plays with a net with a traditional formation. You basically turn it into seven on seven football. Genius move. Kenny Dillingham is coaching his butt off for Arizona State this year. Gotta give him a lot of credit. And yeah, let's then step back, however. At, for as resourceful as Kenny Dillingham was with his offense, uh getting 17 points against a good UCLA defense. Set, you give up 17 points, you should expect to win. You should be able to score at least 20. Arizona State gave up 55 points uh, to Utah uh, a week ago. UCLA scores seven. And I know that the Bruins have injuries at quarterback, but you know this was a team that was supposed to have depth at quarterback because Dante Moore was the freshman, and he hasn't really panned out you know, that great. But you also had Ethan Garbers. You also had... Colin Schley, and he's the guy who got the start uh, against Arizona State, and he's transferred in from Kent State. So, like, Chip Kelly had some options. Now, maybe they weren't Cadillac options, you know. The, and, but of course, it does fall on Chip Kelly that he uh, his player evaluations didn't pan out the way he hoped. So he has to bear some responsibility for that. But even then, like it, Colin Schley was not supposed to be um, third string quality as a quarterback, like he was supposed to provide value to this UCLA offense to the extent that you could at least get 20 points against Arizona state in November, but he didn't. And, and also if you, if you watch that game, uh, I know it was on PAC 12 network. So most of you probably didn't, but UCLA was just handing the ball off in the middle of the line on fourth down and short, you know, no creativity, no flexibility, no diversity, uh, from Chip Kelly, you know, who, you know, when Dorian Thompson Robinson and Zach Charbonnet were back there last year, you saw UCLA's offense do great and dynamic things. And Kelly got a lot out of his talent. UCLA had a really good offense. That was not an easy offense to play against. Kelly is making his 2023 UCLA offense very easy to play against. It felt at times as though Chip Kelly was just mailing it in. Or, or he was just trying to emphasize, hey, we're the more physical team, so we're just going to run it up the gut. But, like, tactics, strategy, they pretty much went out the window. I would also add that, you know, UCLA got stuff on a fourth and goal at the one of entirely appropriate, and entirely appropriate for UCLA to go for it in that situation. But let's remember, this game against Arizona State, it was 3 nothing well into the third quarter. Kelly needed to know. He needed to realize, okay, this is a defense first game. Um, so when he had a fourth and one at the nine, at the Arizona State nine, 10 yard line, 
uh, later in the first half, he needed to kick a field goal. He needed to collect some points and realize that, hey, this is a defense-dominated game. It might be like 10-3, 10-6, 13-10. I need to collect points. So not going to knock him for going for it on fourth and goal from the one. You should pretty much always do that. But fourth and one at the 10, uh, still down 3 nothing uh, a little bit before halftime. Chip Kelly needed to kick that field goal, and he needed to collect points. He needed to do things to you know make sure that his team was not trailing. A 3-3 tie feels a lot different from 3 nothing when uh, your offense is struggling the way UCLA's was. Chip Kelly did not read that game the way he should have. He did not go along with the game flow to the extent that he needed to. And so Fire Chip Kelly is now a drumbeat among a large portion of the UCLA fan base. It's certainly a legitimate question. What do I think? I, I think that, um, you know, after five years of DTR, five years of Dorian Thompson Robinson uh, under center, this year was going to be a transition. All right. So as much as Chip Kelly has failed and as much as Chip Kelly has wasted uh, UCLA's defense this season, the fact that he made a good hire at defensive coordinator and he got his defense to improve, that, sh that should not be ignored here. But now Chip Kelly needs to go into the transfer portal because Dante Moore doesn't look like a quick fix. That looks like a project. Uh, you know, should, should UCLA be going all in with Dante Moore in his sophomore season in 2024 in the Big Ten? I don't think so. UCLA and Chip Kelly need to go into the transfer portal, get a big-time quarterback and if they do UCLA might have something for next season so I do think that based on you know the five years of DTR and this year being an unavoidable transition I you know a lot of people were high on UCLA going into the season I was thinking you know what after having the same quarterback for five years it's bound to be tough sledding this season if you don't have a proven established quarterback and and really that's the mistake Chip Kelly made not getting a, a, a rock star transfer uh, in the portal for this 2023 season. But given that he didn't, this was always going to be tough for UCLA. So I think, and, and you know, hey, I, I work at Trojans Wire. I blog there and people will say, oh, well, of course you want Chip Kelly to come back. You're a USC blogger. L let's really cast that to the side and let's just be as objective as possible about this. I really do think that Chip Kelly, who has figured out the defensive half of the ball at UCLA, you give him one more year. But obviously, he is he has to be on the hot seat for 2024. He has to deliver better results overall and on offense. But if he does, like if, if you give Chip Kelly uh, the formula and, and he figures out uh, offense, which, you know, he used to be able to do um, – and which she actually did pretty well a year ago. Um, like, I don't think US, UCLA is that far off from being good. But Chip Kelly does have to go out and get that elite quarterback for 2024. But if he gets it, UCLA has the ingredients be, to do something really good. And when you look at the Big Ten, you look at all these unwatchable games with these terrible offenses. If UCLA gets a quarterback, Bruins are going to be better than the Iowa's and the Purdue's and the Illinois's and the Indiana's uh, and so many of these middling uh, Big Ten teams, their line play is decent. Um, I, I don't think you fire Chip Kelly, but I think if you're Martin Jarman, the UCLA AD, you do have a, a conversation with Chip and say, hey, 
you need to go get yourself a quarterback. All right. And and uh and you need to deliver better results in 2024 in the Big Ten. We're gonna give you one chance in the Big Ten to prove yourself and and then we'll see. I think that's really the best way for UCLA to handle uh Chip Kelly. Uh haven't mentioned uh US the USC Oregon game yet, and it's because I don't think there was much to talk about. Oregon was the far better team. Didn't really show it on the scoreboard. You know, nine-point game, you might think, if you didn't watch it, no, that was competitive. Well, Oregon was up by 22 points uh, and then let USC back into the game a little bit. But USC was not within one score uh, pretty much throughout the whole uh, second half. And yet Oregon left a ton of points on the field botched uh, you know, missed field goal some fumbles that it went managed to recover but which thwarted drives a holding penalty uh prevented Oregon from getting a first and goal at the three which it almost certainly would have converted uh into a touchdown Oregon was ragged Oregon committed over 115 yards uh in penalties um the ducks you know and their fans like USC was a, 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 a was wounded and not playing well heading into this game I'm, I know a lot of Oregon fans I mean, I did some USC YouTube shows last week, as I always do. Oregon fans were in the chat room on these shows, and they were just out for blood. And I didn't blame them. Like, they were thinking, hey, 25, 30, 35 point beat down. We're just going to absolutely dump it on USC. Oregon didn't do that. And Oregon had the much better team uh, in a much better, more favorable position, and yet didn't really play that great. But there was still, of course, an obvious significant difference between the two teams. Caleb Williams scrambling for his life all night. USC's offensive line just not able to be a fortress. Uh, USC's offensive line, a very significant reason the Trojans haven't been as good this year uh, as projected. Um, the transfer portal uh, acquisitions for Lincoln Riley have not hit the mark at all. Um, USC's receivers, you know, Taj Washington's been great. He's been a great USC receiver this season. Not, not anybody else really. Um, that receiver core has not stepped up. Dorian Singer continues to be a bust. Um, and, you know, Arizona has really good receivers. Dorian Singer turned out to be not nearly as good as we thought. Uh, I thought he was going to be a lot better, um, but he just hasn't brought anything extra. USC really misses Jordan Addison from last season. He was such a difference maker. I think we can all see that and appreciate that a lot more now. So USC, just a shadow of its former self. Um, and its defensive line was okay. Like Oregon didn't really, you know, totally overpower USC. But the secondary, the USC secondary, abysmal. I mentioned this earlier with Bo Nix. He was just making easy throws. He did not have to make hard throws in this game. USC's coverage very soft, particularly on third down. So this was one of the most lopsided nine-point games I've seen. And so USC gets to end its season mercifully and move on to its defensive coordinator search um, with Jimbo Fisher getting fired at Texas A&M uh, with uh, Zach Arnett being fired as head coach at Mississippi state um, and with other developments in the coaching carousel, it's going to be interesting to see, you know, what defensive coordinator candidates for USC are going to look at those different jobs, whether it's head coach at A&M, Defensive coordinator at AM, de uh, defensive coordinator, uh, head coach at Boise State, defensive coordinator, head coach at Mississippi State. With those and other openings, 
uh, emerging, how's that going to affect the candidate pool for USC? One particular uh, point uh, that's that's worth noting, what if Mike Elko, who used to be at AM as defensive coordinator under Jimbo Fisher, what if Mike Elko takes the Texas A&M job? Now, Mike Elko has a young uh, defensive coordinator, Tyler Santucci, very highly thought of, been doing a great job. He obviously gets his Duke players to be very physical, very tough. Boy, you give Tyler Santucci USC talent, USC resources, he could be really good as a defensive coordinator. But with the A&M job opening up, if Elko goes to A&M, does Tyler Santucci accompany Elko to A&M to join his staff? That or, or is USC able to pick him off and bring him to Los Angeles? Just one of the dozens and dozens of potential plot points that USC, like any other school, needs to consider in terms of the carousel, the job market, uh, being able to anticipate moves, being able to get in front of situations before other schools make their own move. And let's make one other note about the coaching carousel while we're at it. You're seeing all these coaches get fired right now. This is the new world. Schools are not waiting until the end of the regular season. They know they have to act sooner rather than later. Transfer portal window opens December 4th. So these schools need to get the word out. Like they need to broadcast the fact, hey, we're making changes. We're serious about getting better. Uh, and time is of the essence. They can't wait. They want recruits and portal prospects to know now, not later, now, uh, that they're going to be making changes. They're going to be increasing the quality of their coaching. That, like that's why USC fired Alex Grinch earlier rather than later. That's why AM's moving earlier rather than later. Um, and of course, you bundle NIL with all of these things. These, this is the new normal in the industry. Firings before the end of the regular season. Why wait? Make the move now. Make sure that portal prospects know uh, what is. Uh, coming around the bend. All right, so uh, we also have to, to spend a little bit of time in the Mountain West. Man, what happened to Fresno State? And this was a weird betting line. Like, this game was roughly a toss-up, a pick -em. I think San Jose State went off as a one, maybe two-point favorite over Fresno State, despite Fresno State, uh, you know, having just beaten uh, UNLV and uh, Boise State to rise to second place in the Mountain West behind uh, Air Force. And San Jose State just dog walks the Bulldogs. Uh, that that was a decisive uh, win uh, for San Jose State. And then one slot above Fresno State, Air Force. What's happened to Air Force? The, the bottom has fallen out. After being unbeaten, Air Force gets thumped, decisively beaten. Like it wasn't even close by Army and now Hawaii. Wow. Out, absolutely out of nowhere. Uh, and, like, I know Air Force has had quarterback injuries, but Air Force's line play, Air Force's physicality was first rate through those first eight games. What's happened the last two times? Like, these games, again, they were not especially close. Air Force just total implosions each of the last two weeks. And, of course, Army was not a conference game, but this game against Hawaii on the island, that was a conference game. So the Mountain West, with some late, unexpected plot twist it's going to be interesting to see if fresno state and air force can recover to the point that they can maintain uh their collision course in the conference championship game you have unlv right there beating wyoming um 
and still still in the hunt. You know, if Fresno State loses uh, another game, the Rebels can vault past the Bulldogs, surprisingly, but it but it would happen. Uh, other notes in the Mountain West, it's really a busy uh, week uh, in terms of the Mountain West uh, scene in football. Brady Hoke retiring at San Diego State. Uh, so that job uh, is coming up, is coming open. And then Boise State, again, not waiting until the end of the regular season. The Broncos fire, fire Andy Avalos. And we have to ask, does this mean that Brian Harson gets to go back to Boise State? Uh, I, I think a lot of Boise State fans would be okay with that. I'm not saying it's universal or unanimous among those fans, but, you know, Boise State could certainly do worse. And Brian Harson, after his miserable years at Auburn, um, if he goes back to Boise, he, you know, that probably would be appealing to him. It would probably be a situation where he'd like to go back, but would Boise State want to go back? And Boise State needs to consider what other candidates uh, are out there uh, on the open market. So a lot going on in the Mountain West as well as the Pac-12. Uh, final word, Washington, Oregon State prediction. I don't give a lot of predictions, but it's late in the season. The games are bigger. The national spotlight is more centrally on Washington. Do the Huskies remain unbeaten? No. I'm picking Oregon State uh, to win that game, so we will see if the Huskies uh, are able to refute me. Uh, but it's going to be very interesting to see what happens in Corvallis for that very big game. All right, that's the latest edition of Get Off My Pilot College Football Podcast, looking at college football in the Western United States. And uh, it's really exciting because the Pac-12 has teams in the college football playoff hunt. Mountain West race is exciting and chaotic uh, until the very end. We are part of the College Gridiron Coast to Coast Podcast Network. Uh, look for your favorite uh, college football podcasts across the country covering the Big 12, the Big 10, uh, you, you, it, the, the service academies. We have all those angles covered with your favorite College Gridiron Coast to Coast podcast presentation. Uh, you can find uh, College Gridiron Coast to Coast at Apple Podcasts um, and other outlets where you listen to your podcast. There's also the College Gridiron Coast to Coast uh, Twitter feed as well. So look, check on the internet apple and elsewhere uh for your favorite college gridiron coast to coast podcast this is matt zemek thanks for listening to another edition of the get off my pylon college football podcast